As you're opening up there, did you know right now, as you're seated, there's always two types of people that exist? I'm going to give you a couple categories, then I'm going to give you what the real, the real way to evaluate. But one, uh, Mark Twain said, there's people who accomplish things, go out and do things and accomplish them, and then there's people who claim that they accomplish things. Which one, Bertha, are you? That's the question. There are, Frederick Collins said there are people who walk into a room and say, there you are. And then there's people who walk into a room and say, here I am. Ken, which one are you? Some uh, anonymous writer said uh, there's two kinds of people, those who drink and those who make you want to drink. Gala, which kind are you? But I have some other ones. You've probably seen this online. There's uh, two kinds of people. Which kind are you? Are you the kind that eat the whole piece or leave the crust? Who leaves the crust? Raise your hand. Wow, that many people leave the crust. How about this one? Which one are you? Who's the person? I, I snap it off. It's got to be a perfect square. Who just dives right in and eats? Oh, all right. Jackie, you dive right in and eat. Oh, <laughs> that's good. How about this one? Really, this is for the guys more than anything. How many guys are cat lovers? Let's raise your hand. You're a cat lover, Jim, really? Ken, you're not a cat lover. He is? Cat lover back there. You're a cat lover? All right. Well, you... you that's good. That's your cat lover, Nora. That's very good. Now, for the really, truly important one, I always have to sneak this in here. <laughs> who is on the side of the Jedis and who's on the side of the Empire? Michigan's the Empire. And then the uh, Michigan State is kind of co-belligerence with Ohio State against Michigan, so I kind of sneaked them over a little bit. Now, these are all for fun, but now I'm going to give you the, the way to really evaluate. This is the biblical assessment. You have two kinds of people biblically, and I'm going to picture them as well. So if you can imagine yourself inside of you, you can be one well or the other well. And inside of you, the Bible says really matters. Who cares how you look on the outside? It's what's down deep inside of you. And I'm going to say there is people who are full of self-love, that would be on the left, those who just want for themselves. And then you have really people who have been lightened by God and have what I'd call God's love, agape love. Agape love is that true, I want the things God wants. I love those people that God loves. I want his will. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's what characterizes you. There's two types of people. And today, when we open up the scriptures, we're going to find Saul and Jonathan are going to be highlighted, and they're going to be responding to God's man. And we're going to see how the different kinds of wells, or what I'm going to say, what's inside of you, respond. So if you can, open up to 1 Samuel 18, and we'll read the first 16 verses. And as we read it, you'll see the drastic difference. It's drastically different. 
verse 1. As soon as uh, he finished speaking to Saul, that's David, was speaking to Saul after he killed Goliath, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul sent him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lair. And as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel, and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. The title I've titled it is really Jealousy and Anger, because you're going to see the one side of the well, the one type of person who's full of self-love, really what starts coming out of them when they see other people successful, or when they see God's will being fulfilled in somebody else but them, is anger and jealousy. And so really we're going to do an evaluation of three people here. Saul, Jonathan, and David. We're going to break it down pretty simply. We're going to say Jonathan is going to represent, if you go to the next slide, father is Saul, Jonathan's the son, and Jonathan is going to represent the person whose reservoir is full of agape love. Actually, early on in 1 Samuel 14, 6, the first time we meet Jonathan, Jonathan went out to fight the Philistines, and he said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be for the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving many by few or by few. He knew God, he knew God was all that mattered. Early on, Jonathan cared about the glory of God. He wanted to destroy the uncircumcised Philistines. He knew God's name was at stake. So Jonathan represents the guy who really loves God and his will. Saul represents the person who's full of himself. If we look at, uh, this is always, 
one of the saddest statements to me, Saul, 1 Samuel 15, 30, Saul again and again fails before God. Again and again he sins. In verse 30, he said, I have sinned, I have sinned, he's admitting it to Samuel the prophet, I have sinned before God, yet honor me. That's that person that, okay, we all sin. Can we just push it under the rug? Because I still want honor. Can I still be honored? Can it still be about me? Saul is the guy that is full of himself. And then we're going to see David is the anointed choice of God. David is actually the forerunner of Christ. He is to be a type of Christ, meaning King David is the first anointed one. Christ is known as the son of David, but David is God's man. God chose him to rule over the kingdom of Israel, mainly because Saul failed because he was full of himself. David, which we learned, was the youngest of a family of eight brothers. Samuel anointed him, poured oil on him. Last week we learned he defeated Goliath all by himself, and now we see the people love this guy. They love him. So he goes to fight against the Philistines. He destroys them, and they even write this little ditty about him in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7, where he says, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. It's a, uh, Saul takes it wrong, but it's just like a, it's a nice song that they sing, kind of like our songs that we want to lift up our heroes. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go pretty quick. We're going to just show you how the self-love person in the agape, full of agape love, responds to God's person, God's will. That's the first thing, how self-love and agape love respond to God's will. In this case, God's man, David. Second thing we're going to learn is how self-love and agape love participate in carrying out God's mission. They do different things. You'll see what I mean. And thirdly, we're going to see how self-love and agape love affect the world around them. Because those two different kind of people affect the world differently. And to me, it's, it's kind of sad. So first of all, we're going to talk about the response to God's will. And to do that, we're going to talk a little bit about David. David, there's nobody like King David. He was specifically fashioned by God to bring praise to God. He could sing. He could play the harp. He could play the lyre. He wrote amazing poetry in the book of Psalms. He was a warrior. He was a leader. And he was a fabulous king. Everything David touched turned to gold. And I think it was purposeful. God designed certain people sometimes in unique ways to bring him glory like nobody else. When David was faithful, Israel prospered. I once heard if you compare David to Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was faithful, he was thrown into a pit. When David was faithful, everything went good for everybody. There's some people like that. I don't know how to explain it. Not many people come along like this, but when they do, you just know God's hand is upon them. I think Billy Graham's a guy like that. There's a number of people like that. David was God's man. So you could say God gave him everything. Gave him fame, fortune, good looks, and a heart that was bent towards him. 
So how do the two types of people respond to somebody like this when they're successful? Jonathan, who's the model of agape love, right away recognizes David's blessing. He loves David. Look at verse 1 through 3 in chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Look at 19, verse 1. Chapter 19, Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. Was it just that they were good friends? I think it was more than that. I think Jonathan loved seeing David succeed because it caused God to get glory. He was for David. I believe, personally, that's the mark of a soul attuned to God. When you see the blessings in another person, you rejoice. When you meet somebody that loves God, there's something strange. There's an instant attachment. The ESV says knit. You're knit. There's a kindred spirit, as Anne of Green Gables would say. People who love God attached to each other on deeper levels than mere drinking buddies and sports partners. I don't know how to explain it to you. But when you meet two people that really love God, they have deeper relationships than just, hey, let's have a fantasy football league. All right, that's cool. When women find other women that love Christ, there's a depth of relationship that far surpasses going shopping or joining a workout club. There's real union and depth of caring. True fellowship. David and Jonathan had this. Paul and Timothy had this. In 2 Timothy 1, 3-4, this is one of the strangest statements. So Paul is writing Timothy, a younger man in the ministry, and he says, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. Have you ever had a friend that you constantly pray for and long to see when they are apart from you. I'm not talking to your child, a friend. And especially if I'm talking to males, have you ever had a guy that you cried over because you miss him? Oh, come on, that's, that's femi. No, there's a strangeness about the Spirit of God when you're united with somebody else. There's a depth. You love deeply those who love God. This kind of love wants what's best for the other. Jonathan wanted what's best for the other. Rejoices. In the rejoicing of the other, it is centered around love for Christ and his glory. Have you ever been around married couples that are knit together around Christ? Did you know many are not? Many are not. But when you find a couple that has a common passion to see Jesus as number one in their marriage and their family, there's a closeness. You can't explain it. They will be sitting in church. I've seen this a lot. They'll be sitting in church, and they have an uncanny ability to know what the other person's thinking. And if they hear something that they know is supremely true about God, they will both smile and rejoice at the same time. It's really strange. When people are married couples are knit together, there's a closeness you can't explain. 
However, couples that are not centered on Christ often have one pulling harder than the other, and there's not closeness, and often there's exasperation and bitter competition, and a one-up, or look what I did, look how I'm better. Saul is like that. Saul is a man who's full of self-love, and he sees David not as a blessing, but as competition, as a competitor. He wanted the song to be about him. Jared said really the way Saul heard the song was instead of some Jewish lilt, he probably heard it like, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousand. Nah, 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 nah. See, I did it, Jared, see? He wanted me to do that. He is so tuned to music, he heard that in that. And he said, you got to sing it like that. But Saul heard that. This is a song ridiculing him instead of praising him. It's everything's about him. Self-love hates godly blessing and success in other people's lives. Self wants the success. As long as you give them praise, as long as you recognize their greatness, they'll be okay. okay. But when they don't get it, when they don't get it, out of the heart comes jealousy and anger. That's what happened to Saul. I've seen pastors get jealous of other pastors. A lot. I've seen churches get jealous of other churches. I've seen Christians get jealous of other Christians. I've seen students get jealous of other students, whether it's in academics, sports, athletics. When jealousy rears its ugly head, it is ugly. And jealousy is a sign that you're full of self-love. If you're a jealous person, and you're always saying, how come they get that? Ooh, be careful. When people, when good things happen for people and you can't rejoice, why not? Here's the other question. Does God have the right to give blessing, honor, and success to who he wants? The self-lover does not believe so. If he can't have a share of the honor and glory, no one should, because everything must be equal. Why? Jealousy would rather, this is the saddest part to me, jealousy would rather keep the other person from wallowing, or keep the other person wallowing in equal squalor as themselves, rather than allowing them to have more success. I would rather, if I'm jealous, I'd rather have you be just as miserable as me than have you be blessed. That's the problem with communism and socialism. Next thing we'll talk about is God's will. How do these two carry out God's will? Jonathan, the picture of agape love, is moved to do whatever he can to see David succeed. This is unbelievable. Look at verse 4 in chapter 18. Chapter 18. Jonathan, who loves David, knows that David is the anointed next in line strips himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David, gave David his armor, gave David his sword, gave David his bow, and gave David his belt. Now doing, now reading this, it doesn't, it's just, oh, he gave him his clothes, but more than that, people said insignias would be on those clothes, swords, spears. Insignias, which would mean royal lineage, inheritance. He's basically, it's kind of like he's giving over his birthright to David, you're the next in line. That's huge. He willingly and joyfully gave to David. He did what was ever necessary to see God's will fulfilled, even at a loss to himself. That's what agape love says. 
It says, I will open-handedly let go and give what God gave to me in order to glorify him in whatever way I can, whether it be help somebody succeed that you know God is working on or see a program or a project move forward. Reminds me of Philippians 2. It says, Christ emptied himself, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he basically let go and died. So you could have salvation. So you could succeed. He didn't have to do that. Agape love gives whatever is needed to help those who God loves grow in Christ. Sadly, many husbands are stingy to their wives and children because they don't want to give too much. Many Christians are stingy when it comes to giving. Many believers would never sacrifice for the needs of others. They just come to church to be comfortable, and then go. Jonathan, throughout his life, put his life on the line for David. In 19.4, he spoke to his dad who wanted to kill David, knowing he could want to kill him. In 21 through 41, I don't have the time to go through it, but Jonathan does this thing where he shoots an arrow while David's hiding in the bushes, so he goes, his, tells his servant to get the arrow so he can tell David if it's safe or not, if Saul wants to kill him or not. And Jonathan is willing to constantly put his life on the line to see David succeed. So you could put it like this. When you see that God has his hand on a person or a ministry, what are you willing to do to see that person succeed? I'll be honest with you, Jared. I was more excited about your ordination than mine. It was so exciting to see Jared succeed. Because he's worked hard and God's hand is on him. It's obvious. And our objective as a ministry is to say, what can we do to make God's will be fulfilled in his life? And be excited about that. I know pastors would be threatened by him. Saul's jealousy drove him to hang tight to what he had, like a closed fist. Self-love closes its fist. Self-love says, I will hold tight to what is mine and I will keep it. And you're not getting anything. Look at 1 Samuel 18.8. Saul was very angry. He's mad about this saying. And he's talking to himself. He said, man, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed thousands. What next, basically? He's going to want the kingdom. My kingdom. Forget it. And that's why verse 7, and Saul eyed David from that day on. NIV says he was jealous of David. In other words, he would not let him out of his sight because he didn't want him to have anything else. Saul, Saul David, saw his success, and it made him furious. And he's not going to get any more. This jealousy is covetousness. Wanting what really Saul's not doesn't have a right to lay claim to. It's God's will. But this jealousy and this covetousness opened the door for Satan to enter. Look at verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. So the, in other words, he allowed an evil spirit, God allowed an evil spirit to fill Saul to such a degree that he raved within his house. He's so mad. He's, one, he's that guy that can't get that out of his mind. Have you ever been so jealous or wanted something somebody had you can't let it go? 
raving, mad, furious. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, 26 to 27. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27. This is how, it talks about how you are to relate with one another in the church. We often use this for marriages, but this is for the church. It says, be angry and do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. One writer says this, if I let my anger towards somebody else reach a boiling point, meaning wanting what they have, I'm jealous of them, and I start crying, that's really mine. If I let that simmer, one writer says, it's like warm milk left out in the sun and it will spoil. And when your anger spoils, it spoils you. And the heart that's spoiled will continue nursing that anger and keep it warm until it gets what it wants. It just raves and thinks and stews and it won't let it go. When you nurse your wrath, when you stew over how you feel wronged or come up with reasons why what other, what a other person has is rightfully yours, Satan has opportunity to enter. Satan wants you, here's what he wants, and I've seen this so many times, Satan wants you to hate Hate the people you once loved. It's the strangest ability he has, but I've seen it in marriages and churches. He has an ability to get in there, and then once he gets in there, he causes people to turn on each other where they, they hate each other. How do you hate the person you once loved? Satan also wants you to hate those who God loves. Satan wants people to be isolated living on their own hot, lava-filled island of wrath, where they're just alone raving in their room. Jesus says in Matthew 5, this kind of anger is the first step towards murder, and that's what happened in 1 Samuel. Samuel tried to murder David four times, three times with a spear. One time he sent a servant while David was sleeping. Luckily, Michael said, get out, let him out the window. She put an idol in his bed with some hair on it, put some covers over it, woke him up, and David escaped. And Saul was mad at his daughter. And his daughter, Michael, said, well, he made me do it. Because she knew her, her dad had the ability even to probably kill her. He was feverishly full of anger. And so really, the, the question for you is, what are you holding on to that you jealously protect? Is there anything you don't want to give up? What does someone else have that is eating you up on the inside? Money? You look at your neighbor and they have a new Jeep and you want that Jeep? Or a snow machine, Jeff, is that what you call it? Snow machine, man, they have a snow machine, whatever. They, they can make snow cones. I wish I could make one of them. Honor? Do you want the honor and recognition somebody gets? How about um, children? Or good-looking children? Or athletic children? Or children that get all the accolades? Health? Are you ever jealous of somebody's health? How about, uh, are you ever jealous of who's in office? No. No. Anger kills, man. It kills. 
Jealousy kills. So here's the final thing. What kind of worlds do these two things create? So if you don't know what's in you yet, if you are agape or self-lover, this is the best way to find out, this last one. Agape love and self-love have a ability to create a, a atmosphere, um, settings and rooms, um, what it's like in your home. It's really weird. But two different kind of people can be given the exact same circumstances and they will treat them and they will feel exact. it'll be completely different. I'll show you what I mean. Go to chapter 20, verse 42. 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. And remember, your homework is to read this. I, if I went through this whole thing, it'd take 17 days. So that's why I'm going pretty quick. 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. So basically, Jonathan saves David once again from Saul's anger. He knows he's going to leave. And so Jonathan says to David in verse 42, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be, be between me and you. But the first thing he says is go in peace. A person who's full of agape love is full of peace. They're just, it's just in them. You can look at it like this. David took Jonathan's armor. He took Jonathan's inheritance. He took his sister... He took his military glory, because Jonathan was quite a leader, and David became that leader. He took all those things. Jonathan could be furious about that, but he wishes him nothing but peace. He wishes him nothing but peace. Jonathan's love for God results in a love for David. Jonathan's love for God results in him letting go. Jonathan's love for God results in patience, trust, and peace. A person who's full of agape love trusts God. Even if things don't go your way and it seems like every, you're losing everything or somebody else gets all the honor, peace, patience, trust. Ha. Saul never stops being at war with David. Look at 1 Samuel 20, verse 13. Look at how Jonathan talks about his dad. But should it please my father to do harm, to do you harm? Jonathan knows it pleases Saul to do harm to David. So, he, so Saul, who's full of self-love, likes harming David. It brings him pleasure. So you could say it like this. Saul's hatred and anger becomes his sustenance. It pleased him. He liked it. It's weird how people like anger and they live on jealousy and it becomes a way of life for some people. Some people are so mad all the time but they don't know life without it and actually they kind of enjoy getting angry. It's like they feel like it's their right to be mad. Have you ever been around somebody just as mad about everything and they feel like it's their right to be mad about everything? This is what's happening to Saul. Some people live their whole lives feeding off the fuel of hatred and as a result, when you're around them, it's always conflict. It's never peaceful. It's like, why is this house always full of conflict? I can't take it. 
They're never happy. They're never content. They're bitter. They criticize. And there's always something or someone who has done them wrong. You know what they did to me the other day? Saul would not stop chasing David. That's what the rest of Saul's life is. That's what we're going to find out next week. And so the question for you is, you might, what's down in the well? And you're like, I don't know what's down in the well. What kind of world do you create when you walk into the room? Do people kind of leave when you walk into the room? I mean, try to notice. Or do people, when you walk in the room, go, ah, it's good to see you. You can feel it. Are you living on an isolated island of wrath? Or do you have a community? People want invite you to things, you know? I want to end with this verse. Look at this verse. This is exactly what this whole sermon's been about. This is James 3, 14 and 18 to talk about two kinds of wisdoms. How, how do you know if you're operating within these wisdoms? If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. He's saying you've got to start evaluating yourself. People walk around blind all the time. like Especially jealous people, they feel they have the right to just smash the souls of other people. He says you really don't. You don't need to stop being false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual. And look at the next word. It's demonic? So Satan still can influence his demons? Yeah, if you give him a foothold like it says in Ephesians. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, meaning let's talk through this. Let's, I'm willing to listen. Let's talk through this. Don't be defensive. Don't be angry. Gentle. Gentle. Jealous people are not gentle. Insincere. In a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I read this story. It's a really sad story. This, uh, this guy was a lonely man. And part of it is because his mom and dad got a divorce when he was young. And right away he took, he took his mom's side, didn't want to listen to his dad, and started blaming his dad for the divorce and was always upset at his dad. Never wanted to talk to his dad. Over the years, never wanted to see his dad. Over the years, didn't let his kids see his dad. He just blamed his dad, always mad at his dad. His mom died. And his mom died, they had a funeral for him, and it was tough on him, but he didn't shed a tear, and... He just, you know, was kind of calm and loved his mom. Five years later, his dad died. But when his dad died, something happened to him. He just, he just couldn't leave the coffin. And he was weeping and weeping. And somebody came up to him and said, what's wrong? And he said, I don't know how I'm going to live without hate. I think the hatred for my dad is what kept me alive. And I don't know how I'm going to live without hating my dad. Some people live off of hate. They live off of anger. And they're never happy. And it's usually because they won't, they're not able to have what maybe somebody else has. I, I, honestly, I can't... Jonathan's amazing to me because Jonathan was the king's son 
battled hard, and was willing to step aside for David. We don't hear much about Jonathan. But Jonathan was a man that understood this is not about me. It's about the will of God being fulfilled. Do you want God's will fulfilled in your home? Or do you want to control everything in your home? And if things don't go in your way, you're going to cause conflict. So when you cause that conflict in your home, is it ever, do you ever wonder why your kid wants to leave the house early? Or doesn't really ever want to come back? But when you have peace, there's laughter. People can, they can mess up, but they're forgiven. Man, agape love is amazing because you want God's will, not your own. I'll, I'll finish with this analogy. I once heard that if you're the king of the castle, no, you're not the king of the castle if you're the husband. You're the steward of the castle. A steward is somebody who sits in place of the king. You know who should be the king of your castle? It's Christ. But he has not come down to earth. So you, as either husband or even wife, you are stewards. You are to represent the king as if he was there. Are you acting like the king? Like Jesus? Or are you wanting the king's rule for yourself? And if you wonder about it, watch Lord of the Rings. That will clear it up for you. Lord Denethor. Jared, there you go. I gave you another plug. But I, I'm just saying this is, um, I think this is, you could say this this isn't talking about huge things, but it is. Your little everyday decisions exposes the well that's inside of you. It matters deeply. 